Hey, everybody, welcome to welcome again to another installment of this uh, Elevating Generosity and Stewardship podcast. We're super excited that you would take an hour out of your, your Wednesday to join us. I'm Chris Willard, and I am, uh, I'm with Elevate Group, and I'm here with my partner and friend of 10 years, Greg Morris. Greg, why don't you say hi to, say whatever you want to say, Greg, actually, I don't care what you say. Hey, thanks for joining us, everybody. We're thrilled to have you watching with us today, and uh, we're thrilled to have uh, our guest. I'm going to let Chris introduce here with us today as well. Yeah, so this is going to be great. If you don't know who who Greg and I are, uh, we, we're with an outfit called Elevate Group. Our whole idea is we work with churches and ministries and try to help them call their people up to a higher level of engagement, which we find ultimately results in a higher level of resources required to do the ministry. So we coach churches to help them create strategies uh, to elevate generosity and stewardship and giving. We help them with capital campaigns and giving initiatives. But at the end of the day, we're just a couple of church guys that want to see churches be successful and be effective. And so we've been doing that for a long time. And we are uh, very excited and, and looking forward to the conversation that we have this afternoon with Brian Tome. And Brian is our guest today. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. It is my pleasure, Chris. Thank you. Right on, bro. Brian, of course, is the lead pastor at Crossroads Church, multi-site church in sort of the Cincinnati area. And uh, Brian has, I think, some really, really timely things to talk about today as we sort of move into uh, 2021 and thinking about how do we kind of keep ministry going and how do we sort of continue to take ground. So we're psyched that you're, you're joining us today. And um, our big idea, of course, is that, right, Greg, our big idea is that we think it's helpful for every church, whether it's a church plant or a mega multi-site church like Crossroads, we think it's a pretty good idea for every church to have an idea or a strategy for how they're going to elevate generosity and stewardship, right? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it really is. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, the data kind of bears out the fact that the more generous people are, those people who give uh, consistently and give generously are healthier people financially. And uh, so, so it's, it's a discipleship thing. It's not just a funding of our vision, which it is that. And that's important. Our vision, you know, the, the vision of spreading the gospel does cost money and it requires resources. But that's part of it. This is a discipleship journey for your people. And, uh, you know, it starts with the lead pastor. He plays a, a very unique role. I mean, he gets the opportunity to teach people things they're not going to learn anywhere else. They're not going to learn that in everyday life. And they're, we're, they're going to teach things about biblical stewardship and biblical generosity that they're just not going to learn anywhere else. So that's one of the things that we want to talk about today. Yeah, good. And that's one of the great, excellent segue. It's one of the great reasons why we're excited to have Brian, uh, you with us, because, uh, you know, just from knowing you and having an opportunity to work with you and your team over the years, I just know that this is something that matters to you. This idea of really being thoughtful and intentional about how you do generosity and stewardship at Crossroads. But before we get into that topic in particular, it would be almost like podcast host malpractice. If I didn't ask Brian Tome, to talk about what um, what was the COVID shutdown like for you guys? What was, talk about kind of how you navigated your way through that because you guys at Crossroads, you'd already done a lot of work, right? On trying to create your Crossroads Anywhere concept, which gives you the ability to sort of extend the reach of your church. I just want to hear, bro, give, me, give us some headlines on how that whole thing went, what you learned, what you guys saw happen. Yeah, we were we were on the digital train for quite some time before COVID came. We had a whole ministry of philosophy that said, well, we want to start with Crossroads Anywhere, which it means actually before that is Crossroads Underwear. Crossroads and Underwear is when you can watch Crossroads in your underwear from your computer no matter where you are. The next step of that is Crossroads Anywhere, which is when you're gathering with other people, which are probably not in your underwear at that point. You're gathering other people wherever it is, a, a coffee shop, your house, or wherever that might be. And then third, th third place is Crossroads right here when you're in a city or a site and there's a sign out there that says, here's Crossroads. So we, we've been working that strategy for a while and spending a lot of money on it and quite frankly, wasting a lot of money on it. We were absolutely on the bleeding edge, not the leading edge. And so I'm happy for anybody to go to school and us or anybody else. But we were we were in that space. We're, we're really convinced that 
that the, the, the digital thing, I don't know if you know it or not, but the, the, this whole thing called the World Wide Web, it's kind of here to stay. It's yeah, kind of catching here to on, stay. isn't it, bro? It's, it's catching on. I know. HTTP colon backslash backslash. <laughs> I, it's, not, it's not going away. It's really here. So we've just seen people's habits and attitudes permanently change, yeah. permanently, before COVID hit. And then once COVID hits, we, were, we actually were giddy. We were like, hey, we're we are good to go here. We're we are ready. We've got a good and, and it was. The early days of COVID for us was was really, really great and promising also. But then we experienced just what, what everybody else did was once the initial adrenaline rush of a new leadership challenge runs off, once the initial adrenaline challenge runs off of something new, it just got it's gotten really, really old. So we, we struggled just like you know, a lot of other churches have, uh, we've struggled with staff health and engagement. We've struggled with people who, um, who dropped away from the church. One thing we've learned about, we knew before COVID happened is there increasingly is in our country, there is going to be believers who are building centric and there are going to be believers who are web centric. And if you try to talk the other one in, to being like you or doing what you're doing, it's an utter losing challenge. And I know building centric people who like to go and gather in buildings cannot imagine that there are people who actually are growing spiritually and are reached digitally and with other people outside of a church building. And I know it's crazy, crazy, crazy to expect a person who's been reached on the web to think that there is a huge thing that can happen when you're in a room because the spirit of God still fills the room. He does, he still fills rooms. But we're not even trying to solve that debate anymore with those two people. We're having a separate thing for people in the digital space, and we're, we're seeing things come out of that, and a separate thing for people in the building space. And what we found, what really clocked us during COVID, is we really devalued the building space folks. We're like, hey, we're prepared for the online thing. We're going to go all online. We're putting in our best creative resources there and everything. And um, we were very slow to reopen our state when other people – we're opening earlier. And then when we did open, we were very slow to, to shift a bunch of our creative resources that we're doing with online inside of our buildings. And we got hurt because of that. So yeah, we, we, we've done some good things well, but I'll tell you what, we've, we've taken our shots in the face over and over again. This is just, it's just not easy. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you just joined us, we're talking to Brian Tome and Brian, of course, is the lead pastor at uh, Crossroads Church in Cincinnati. I'm Chris Willard. Uh, from Elevate Group here with my my friend and partner, Greg Morris. Hey, bro, uh, Brian, talk a little bit more about that. It is kind of an interesting challenge, isn't it, to think it's people, it's not wrong. It's just different, right? If you're a building person, you're a building person. If you're a person that wants to be online, are you are you guys essentially saying that we've got to let, we sort of have to normalize both of those experiences and not make one of them feel like one is superior to the other? Yes, we've had to do that, Chris. And what we also had to do was talk our community pastors of our sites. I don't know what we have right now, 12 sites or so. We also had to talk talk them off the ledge of being really threatened and bummed when someone in their area is going to the web instead of or, or our app instead of going to their building. Because, you know, you're, you want your community pastors being excited about people coming in the building. That's why they're, you don't want your REI people who wear green vests wanting people to go online. You want those people coming into the store and they're going to be excited about store. So we build our whole staff or most of our staff around in-store experiences. And so as people have been shifting to online or as brand new people have come in on online, we've had to teach people it's okay. You can celebrate that. And we understand that you're going to lose some folks because it's more convenient online. That's part of why we're doing it. Yeah. It also sounds like you're sort of convinced though, that there's still going to be and will in the future be a place for buildings and people wanting to gather in person and a little bit of the, some of the, some of the thinking that you're hearing out there is that, yeah, this is the end of churches using buildings and kind of that's going away. It sounds like you're not necessarily on that page. I'm absolutely not in that page. Absolutely not. People and not all people, but a percentage of the population absolutely still wants to gather in buildings, just like there's a percentage of the population that wants to go shopping. Now, that's a smaller percentage than it was 20 years ago. Uh, is that percentage now, is it still going down or is it cratered where it is right now? I don't know that. All I know is there are people who still want to go inside of malls and, and stores and same with stay with churches. And I think it's 
the, the, I've got a friend who's deep in the retail space. He's a retail space titan. And he's, he's just, he's stuck in wind. I mean, everyone in his industry is just dying. They're in a much more perilous situation than churches are. We still have, we have a site in Dayton and a site in Columbus that we're trying to figure out how to put them in a building. So no, well, I am not anti-buildings at all. That's good to know. Yeah, I think that that's good to hear. So, hey, Brian. So uh, I remember last year, it was March 12th, I think. I was on an airplane coming back from Dallas, landed in Atlanta. And as soon as I got off the, or got, we landed, I had had service again. My phone was just blowing up. And so I started listening to text messages of churches out on the West Coast, clients out on the West Coast. They, they were shutting them down. You know, they were shutting things down. And so that next week was a lot of phone calls I had with churches about nobody knew. This is a global pandemic. We haven't done this before. What's giving going to be like? What's going to happen with our giving? What happened at Crossroads? Giving at at all of our sites remain strong, even the sites where they were not in a building that we want to get them in buildings like Georgetown, Kentucky, Dayton, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. Giving stayed very, very strong for us or actually increased. Actually, initially, we saw a significant we saw an increase in large part because people were very thankful that we had a digital technology for them. And it also stayed strong because years and years ago, I I think we're the first church I knew of. We ha- actually had automatic electronic giving. I know it sounds really trite today because, like, who doesn't? But I'll tell you, when we started that in 1999, I think it was, that was shocking to some people. Wait a minute. I need to take my – I need to I need to write down my, my check, and I just feel so much closer to God when I take my check, and I put it in the offering bag. Actually, it was always said by pastors who didn't want to make the jump. And so at the beginning of this, I just kind of had my – tongue on my cheek. I was like, okay, how, how's that bag working out for you now? How spiritually do you feel now? Um, we're, we're, we're never going to pass a bag again because we never saw our our giving go down. And we're, we've been back in buildings for a while now and we haven't passed a bag. And so it's, it's, it's not about the mechanics of how you take up an offering. It's about the spiritual infrastructure you build into people that makes them want to give or not and enables them to make it easy for them or difficult for them. And it's just difficult to make someone give if they're going to show up and drop it in a plate or put it in a cash box. Yeah. So, and that's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing there was some level of uncertainty though, like everybody had that, Hey, what's this actually going to be like? What did you guys do on the front end of that to begin to kind of say, Hey, we're going to, we're, we're going to prepare ourselves for what, what lies ahead, regardless of what it looks like. What, what, what changed anything? Uh, the front end of what front end, front end of, of COVID. COVID. Yeah. Yeah. This was, boy, this was so, so difficult, Greg, because you've got people on your staff who are focusing on the building. You got people on your staff who are focusing on your digital infrastructure. And then you got a bunch of people on your staff who are helping both, like your video folks, they're doing content for both, or your social media folks doing content for both. And all those, so all those building folks, all those folks, they're out of a job or at least out of their normal responsibilities because they don't have a greeter team or anything like that. So what we did is we shifted basically everybody over into the digital space. So all of our creative energy was all creating digital content. And even the people who had in buildings jobs, they were making phone calls, checking people how they were doing. And that was, that was, that was pretty good. I mean, that, that, that worked. Let's just shift and let's just ride this digital infrastructure only because that's all anybody could do. But then the tension came when we open buildings back up and now we've got to pull people away from the digital side and stick them in their normal day job and how do we split resources that way and how do we then backfill on the digital side and 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 when push comes to shove and you got a video editor's time what's more important what he's what he's editing for online or what he's editing for on the room and the creativity what you do for to creatively come through on a screen on a computer is really a different process than what you creatively do inside a room. Your best creativity in your room shouldn't be coming through your screen. It should be in tactile elements. It's a, it's a, it's a tension point. Yeah, it, it, we lost your audio there for just a second, but that may be something on our end. Uh, we'll, we'll try to track well, that. Okay, well, let me, let, me, let, me, let me just add to this. You have, the, you have both the, the building space and the digital space, and you've got to figure out how to, how to allocate your resources accordingly to those. And we are absolutely, absolutely, the numbers don't lie, reaching people digitally. 
people have come into our church and are tithing and they've been reached digitally and we are absolutely reaching people physically and they're coming in so we just have to figure out where do i want to put those resources and, and what has the best bang for the buck yeah, we, uh, that's great. Hey, listen, uh, we want you to know that if you want to ask a question, you can use the chat box. You can throw that in and we'll try to respond to questions as they come in or we, we may hold some of them to the end. There is, a, uh, there is a question that we already got, which I think is interesting. And I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. This, uh, this person who's listening uh, or joining us on the podcast is, is essentially asking, what do you do if, if your people are sort of drifting to churches that are opening even though perhaps your church hasn't opened yet. And maybe they're doing it as a sort of a civil disobedience thing. Maybe they're doing it because they're just looking to, to connect with people in person. But how, what counsel would you have for a church that's sort of in that stuck place where they can't, uh, they can't open yet, but they kind of want to and their people are starting to vote with their feet? Do you think they can't open? Or is the question they can't open because of government restrictions, or they can't yeah. open because the board doesn't want them to open? Well, it could be either one, right? It could be one, or it could be both. Look, we got to recognize that all of us are taking shots left and right. I just, I just met one of our community pastors yesterday, one of our larger um, sites, and um, you know, just, just dealing with discouragement because people are leaving the church, and on our, on our side, they're leaving the church because we're not towing the line politically of where they are. Um, and people, people are just upset and they're mad. They're mad about the political situation in our country. They're mad about the race situation. Whether you're woke or unwoke, you're mad about it. They're mad about the mask mandates, whether you're in the left or the right, you don't like you don't like people aren't wearing masks. You don't like the people are wearing masks. You're mad about what your church looks like. You're mad. At, people are just and so one of the things that people are doing is they're just trying new things and they're leaving, and we're fine that we're we're losing people out of our church or going someplace else where they don't have to wear a mask there or where they seem to be more Republican than we seem to be right now. Um, and I told this the community pastor that I was talking with yesterday. So look, look, man, both of us have been sucking wind in many ways. I've been very upfront about that. I went through a, an utter spiritual desert for most of 2020, like just questioning a lot of things, feeling very, very distant from God, feeling zero zest, zero zeal, zero anything. If guys like me go through that, and I've read the Bible as many times as I have, and I've got healthy spiritual rhythms in my life, and I'm on a church staff, and I'm in prayer every day, and all that, if guys like me, go through that. Of course, other folks are going to go through that. And if a guy like me says, man, if I didn't have to be a crossroads right now, I wouldn't be here. As I said, in my, de in my desert, how, how do we expect the normal average person not to go try something different, just to try something different because they're worn down by the same old grind. We need to try to not take this personal. It does hurt. It's off when someone leaves. We don't want that to happen. But I'm trying to see that it's more of a, a condition of where people are in their holistic life versus how they like or don't like your church right now. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's good. Really good stuff. Hey, I want to circle back just real quick on something you said earlier. You kind of alluded to earlier, you talked about your, your digital giving. And I know there are a lot of people who are not prepared in that context for what happened in 2020. And, uh, for a lot of people, digital giving has gone up just by default. I mean, they, it had to. I mean, people had no other way to give, so they, that's the way they gave. But some people are still kind of behind the eight ball on that. They're still struggling a little bit. How, how For those that aren't quite where they need to be in that realm yet are still struggling because of that, what, what advice would you give them? How, would, how, do they, how do they address that? Well, I think this is a, a discipleship thing with your, with your people. I don't think this is a technological thing because there's all kind of companies and other stuff out there that can help you get the right product for your situation. The barriers tend to be, how do I deal with the objections in my church or how do I help my church see this is a really good thing? And things that we've used for, you know, gosh, decades now is, hey, whatever's important to you as a discipline, you automate that. You automate your insurance premiums, you automate your retirement saving, you automate your mortgage. And when you automate it, you're telling God this is important. You're, you're putting that at the top. That's the first fruit. It's the first thing. 
So people can see that as a spiritual act of worship, not just in worship, I'm dropping something in a bag. You, you have to give people those kind of handholds um, to help them through it. Yeah, that's really good. Good. Bro, let's go back. Let's pull, let's kind of pull the lens back a little bit and just, I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit about the crossroads kind of big picture overall philosophy with regard to generosity and stewardship and giving. Because I know having talked with you for years about this topic, this this is something that you guys have really thought about and you you haven't just kind of wandered into the way you execute strategy with regard to generosity and stewardship. So just give us the big here's what we believe about generosity and stewardship and giving. Here's how we do it at Crossroads. Giving is central to our spiritual formation. God so loved the world that he gave. Right. Gave, right? So giving is central to it, not just something we mimic God on because we're in his image. We should be like him. So if he's a, if he creates things, I should want to build things. If he loves things, I should lo- love people. If he gives, I should give. So it's not just that, but it's also something that, um, that, that grows you spiritually. There's, there's a kind of growing that comes through giving that won't come through any other way. And we've been forced to deal with this whenever you have a church that's growing. You got you have to figure this out. I, I guess if we had a, a stable church of the same number of people and they had all been taught tithing by somebody else, I guess we wouldn't have had to think about this hard. But when you started to, to reach unbelievers, and for the most part, you've reached unbelievers or people who were believers, but maybe in the Catholic faith inside of Cincinnati, where we first started a very traditional city. So we got a lot of former Catholics. Those folks, those folks still come out of the room tithing. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So we would teach tithing, but the only way we were able to really move the ball to, to build the number of buildings we built is campaigns. So we've done four campaigns. Chris, did you help me out us out on one or two of them? I believe I did, bro. And it was a privilege to get to partner with you on that uh, I'm in campaign. That was a ball. Okay. So you're with us on the last one, right? So uh, that's where you say, okay, for this amount of years, we're going to make a commitment above and beyond what, what we regularly give. And then at the end of that, what you're hoping and you plan for is those folks who dab their toes into the water to give, those folks have found that it's working okay, and then you want to transition those into your regular regular ministry funds. So that's what we've done for most of the years. Like I said, four campaigns. Just been, But, you know, it's brutal. Campaigns, are they're, they're, they've been necessary for us, but they're also brutal on, on a variety of different um, different fronts. So where we are now, I don't know, anything else on, on that? Chris? Well, I was just going to say, before you get off the campaign thing, I also know that as uh, they are work, they, they take a lot of energy and effort. Uh, the, the word brutal is certainly not an exaggeration in some cases, certainly, but I've also heard you say that you love doing them because you like doing campaigns because of the way it sort of focuses the energy of your church kind of on yeah, everybody's sort of rolling in the same direction, kind of getting people thinking about some important stuff. You're not a person that has shied away from doing those campaigns because you can, not just because they raise money, but you see more value in that, right? Yeah, when I say they're brutal, high school football was brutal. <laughs> I I didn't enlist in the Marines, but one of the reasons I almost did was because I knew boot camp was brutal. People are signing up for warrior runs because it's brutal. I'm I'm doing hunting, DIY elk hunting, just hiking for miles, and and hopefully when I kill something, I carry out 160 pound, 160 pounds of meat on my back. That's not one trip, by the way. That's generally four trips because it's brutal and it's meaningful. The, it's the yeah. brutal things that are that are meaningful. So when I say it's brutal, I'm not saying oh let me just stick my hand in a blender and feel pain. I I I am bummed that for some of us, our most affectionate moments of intensity is when we're in a high school football locker room. Why would that be? I'm on the most important team the world's ever known on the Church of Jesus Christ. Why is it the best pep talks happen in locker rooms? Why is it the most bonding happens in locker rooms? Why is it licking the wounds happens after you're done with a stupid JV game? That shouldn't be. We become teaching centers. We become like kumbaya circles. No, we're a team. We're, we're an army. We are teaching and we do hold each other's hands, but we miss that thing. And when it comes to campaigns, 
that's the time when you really feel like you're on a field, which is brutal, where you're dealing with criticism, when there is a very clear vision, like we have to build this building. <laughs> and there is a very clearly going through roadblocks, and there is a training element where you're in pain. You don't want to do another personal meeting, but you know, you don't want to do a weightlifting session either. There is that element to two campaigns. It's very brutal, but at the same time, can be very rewarding. Our last one that we did uh, which might be our last one we ever do, and we'll maybe get into why that is in a moment. It might be. Uh, and I thought maybe maybe it is the last one we're going to do. I actually, at the last event that we had for that, I actually got emotional, and I got some you know tears in my eyes. because I and, and I got also emotional, tears in my eyes, at the very first launch event to kick it off. Because I realized this might be my last one, and they're brutal, but man, I love it. There's, there's just something that comes alive in me. There's a, there's a rally and cry of a leader that I get to use that you just don't get to use when you're teaching people about Mark three or something like that. There's, there's just an intensity there and, and something comes alive and, and our church, our church, you could say our church has grown because we had buildings to stuff people into, or you could also say that the campaign forged the growth character of our church and strengthened our people to make our people the kind of folks that could build a church. Right. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I think, I think, um, well, it, it fits what you were saying earlier that this is a spiritual formation thing. This is about what we want for people, not from them. We do campaigns. Yes, because we want to do more ministry, but there's also this, wonderful experience that happens in people's hearts when they get called up to do something worth doing. Uh, again, we're talking to Brian Tome. Brian's the lead pastor at Crossroads Church, multi-site church, kind of started in that Cincinnati area and sort of expanded, I think you said earlier, to maybe 12 campuses. And, and Brian's been talking, if you've been with us, he's been talking about kind of a lot of things, including how they think about generosity and stewardship and giving at, at Crossroads. And at Elevate Group, we want to give you some resources that can just help you think through how can you elevate generosity and stewardship and giving at your church. And we've created a, a, an ebook that you might find helpful. And we're going to put that link in the, uh, the chat box. What this kind of is, it's not like some rocket science. It's basically, these are six questions that you should sort of process through with your team if you want to try to move the ball with regard to generosity and stewardship and giving. And we want to offer it to you. If you find it useful, great. And we hope you will. Um, so, bro, it's, it's, it's good to hear your thoughts on, on generosity and stewardship and giving in general. And Greg and I, right, bro? Greg, we were, we were thinking... It would also be really uniquely helpful to hear, how do you view this from the role of a lead pastor, right, Greg? That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I, you know, I've met with, I, I've worked with a lot of churches and my first meeting, whether it's a campaign or just generosity, where we're just kind of coaching them through generosity and stewardship, trying to improve things, you know, I always meet with the lead pastor first and, and it's kind of, you know, Hey, this kind of this kind of lives and dies with you. And so, talk a little bit about your your um, philosophy or how what you, how you see the unique role of the lead pastor in elevating generosity and stewardship. And any tips you have for pastors out there uh, in that context? I don't know if it's organizational dynamics that are true, and all nonprofits or all businesses and churches, or if it is something in the spiritual realm that we should be more in tune with. But I'm a firm believer that what happens in the leader's life trickles down. Yeah. So when you've got a church that has a significant problem with X, you probably have a pastor who has some kind of problem with X. You've got a church that's really excelling at Y. You've got a pastor that probably excels at Y as well. So, yeah, the, the pastor has got to be the lead fundraiser. That doesn't mean that the pastor is a one-man development organization that calls people and asks people for money every day or every week. In fact, I never do that. I've never done that. But it means that before God, you're wrestling with what does he want from you in your generosity in the same way you should be wrestling with him what he wants from you in terms of your prayer time and your your, your friendship. And that's that's what you have to tap into. And if that's not fresh before God, 
you're going to have a hard time getting people fresh before God in the stewardship area. <clears throat> yeah, it's so true. I think, um, you know, my, our, Greg and I, uh, our dear friend, Jim Shepard uh, from Generis, he and I, you know, we've of course been friends for years. We wrote a book together a few years ago. One of the things we talked about in the book is that, you know, generous churches are led by generous leaders and you can't, you can't, right? You can't reproduce in someone else something that you don't have happening in your own life. And it sort of goes to the rest of the leaders in your church as well. Um, I just feel like at Crossroads, you guys, and maybe this starts with you, Brian, you've put generosity in its proper place. Not too, not, it's not the central thing. It's not everything, but it's also not this thing that's on the side. And I feel like that's part of maybe that kind of comes from the way you view it in your own life. Like it's an important pillar. It's not everything, but it's an important thing, right? It, it is important in my personal life. Probably not as important as some other pastors who probably have the, the gift of giving. I don't have the gift of giving, but I, I just do see it's important. I'll, I'll share an example just from last week for me. Uh, I know in sharing this example, I'm going to lose some, some of my reward in heaven. <laughs> I'm not sh sharing it to pat myself on the back, was, which is when Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left is doing. I'm not doing that. I'm just like a little modeling. I don't know if I'll ever share this in detail from Crossroads, but just between us, pastor, pastor boys and girls. I, I'm 55 right now. I'm at the prime income earning years of my life. I'm making more money than I ever, uh, than I ever thought that I would make. That's, that's partially because... Crossroads are very generous with me and partial, partially because I still have a poverty mindset of, you know, making $22,000 a year as a student pastor and never thinking I'd make anything more than that when I was 22, 23, 20, 18,000, whatever the heck it was. <clears throat> so when I, when I, that I have the resources to do what I, I do and I'm an empty nester, I'm a prime income earning years and all my kids are out of the house. All of them are married. All of them have been through college, all that's done. And here I am like, woo, I basically can buy anything I want. It's wonderful. Really. I'll, I won't say anything. I'd, I'd like a new motorcycle. I can't necessarily buy that right now, but <laughs> I can, whatever it is, uh, go out to eat tonight. Fine. Where do you want to go? doesn't matter. What's on the menu? Uh, fine. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, I would save less, but I'm just going, I, I have financial flexibility. Like I've never, so, so my most recent one, I bought a, um, I bought a refrigerator for the back of my pickup truck because I am doing overland adventuring with my wife. We're going out in the middle of nowhere for days and days on time and else my ice is melting and just ice gets in your food. So I said, well, let's, let's buy a refrigerator, the indoor outdoor refrigerator that goes in the back of my pickup truck. And so I bought this thing. I had to buy all kinds. And I just sense God say to me, like, have you, have you been that impulsive with your giving? Hmm. You're very impulsive with what you're buying these days. Not I'm sending what I'm do doing. It. I've, but just, you know, I like that. Buy it. So I wrestled with God. And I was like, God, you know, I, I at least got to be able to match you on these things, or at least on this one, this, this, this big expense. So I went to Compassion International and logged in and, and picked some funds and put some significant money in those funds. I, I didn't take on another kid. We, we sponsored two kids through Compassion International. I didn't take on another kid. I could have. Could take on a number of kids with how much I gave, but I I didn't want the letter writing responsibility. <clears throat> so I said, I'll just take let me get in the fun where all the losers drop their kids, they but they keep watching Netflix. Well, you want to get me like ballistic. People who sign up to sponsor kids and they drop their kids, but they keep their streaming services. Lose my freaking mind. Oh <clears throat> that that just yeah. So I went on and I just I did that and I I just felt like how much was that helping compassion? I don't know, but I know it was helping my heart. Mm. It's just important. It's important to think that way, and I, I I need to stay fresh before God. And the more flexibility I may have financially, I just know the history of this with other people I've discipled. Generally, the more flexibility somebody has in their finances, is also the more they start to flex their freedom muscles away from Christ and just getting things they shouldn't get in. Yeah, you know what's interesting is a, a super challenge, not just for those of us who have perhaps been blessed financially, but for all of us, what if, what if we, what if normal Christianity, Brian, what if normal Christianity was my giving decisions govern my spending decisions and not the other way around? Right. Like what, right. What if normal Christianity looked like that? And frankly, when I read my Bible, you read Acts chapter two, Acts chapter four, Acts chapter six, elsewhere, 
I think that kind of is supposed to be normal Christianity, but it's not very common, is it? No, no, it's not. Even even the financial counseling that many of us get is it's financial formation with some spiritual principles to justify it. It's not spiritual formation with some financial principles that might help you help you out there. You catch something? There, there's a huge, huge difference here, and um, we're talking about developing you as a person making sure that you are complete in Christ, Colossians 1.28. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's the most important work on earth, not the work of your retirement account, not the work of your short-term savings so you don't have to have a car payment, not that. I, 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 don't, I don't get to those places, so then I've earned the right to give. No, I give something immediately because that's the very, very clear teaching of the Bible. Immediately, whatever whatever that is, I don't want to even get into the whole tithe or not tithe or can you grow a tithe. Again, I'm just saying like the first thing, the first fruit is the tithe and uh, and and or the giving because it orders things properly in our heart and our, and our finances get get ordered. I don't know if, if you want to go into the whole actually the f- whole f- first fruits thing for me is a is a relatively recent learning. I'm ashamed to say so. 55 having been to seminary, I didn't really understand fully the first fruits. Yeah, I do now, but you know, big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, the big deal about tithing, really, right? It's not necessarily that it's ten percent, but that it's the first. 10%. Right. That's kind of the big deal, isn't it? Exactly. Hey, there's a, we got a question on the on the chat box, which I think is useful because Greg's Greg's question that sort of led us in this direction was what, what what's kind of the unique role of the lead pastor with regard to generosity and stewardship, and so somebody who's who's participating here is asking this question. Uh, some people in my church think that the lead pastor shouldn't know about people's giving. So how do you respond to that? I came from a church before we came to Cincinnati, uh, in Pittsburgh, that was a philosophy. We were always very prideful about it. No one knows, no one knows what you give. There's only one person. It's the person who enters the checks, you know, you never have to worry about preferential treatment. And I, I pushed on us. I, what did I know? I was, I was 29, 28. <laughs> pushing on us a little bit, um, saying we keep having these big variances in in our giving because we don't know when someone gets transferred away. It's a relatively small church. What that's going to do to us financially? Shouldn't somebody know about these things? Mm-hmm. So we're not wrestling with them later on. And then I would hear like, "Well, you can't do that because because then they might get preferential treatment." And I said, "Well, if someone gets preferential treatment, then that's a qualifications of leadership issue." That's not a, the Bible says we shouldn't know what each other is giving. So we, we got to wrestle with that. I, I think as a pastor, if you're, if you're not knowing what people are giving, you are eliminating like really the only data point you can possibly get to to where are people spiritually. If I could have people's browsing history, I would get that. If I, if I could see how often they're reading the Bible, I would take that. If I could see how often they're on these, I would take that. And I should have all this. It would be great to have all this. I, I can't know what you give, and that is an indicator. Maybe not the indicator, but it is an indicator. So if you got someone who's a, who's a regular giver, forget how big of a regular giver, and all of a sudden they stop their giving, they have a problem. You have a problem. They have a crisis in their life that they need their pastor to come beside them, or they're leaving the church. And that's the first signal they've sent. And you've cut off all that data from yourself. Yeah. Um, I just think it's short-sighted. And I think it's Pollyanna and idealistic thinking that you don't have to know that stuff. And I think it puts a lot of fleshly, ugly stuff on pastors that many of us are pastors do just fine knowing people give when we look it up. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, you know, a, ch- a change in a person's giving usually reveals some sort of pastoral issue. Yeah. Either you need to congratulate them because their giving has just gone up and you need to say, hey, what in the world is God doing in your life that caused you to give like that? Way to go, man. We're so thankful for you. Or as you said, if somebody's right. giving graders, maybe there's something going on there that you need to know about and you can help them with and you can pastor them through it. I'll give you another, just, just today, for whatever reason, this guy crossed my mind. I see him maybe, I actually see him with my own eyeballs maybe twice a year, but I write him probably four notes a year because he gives huge checks, just huge. And he's a young guy. He just got into the, the right business situation. And he just, ooh, did you, 
it just it just crossed my mind like out of nowhere today. Like, hmm, I gotta just text so and so. So I text him, said, "Hey, man, it just crossed my mind, and thinking of you, anything, anything I can pray for." And he just sent me back like one of the longer text messages I've had all week, just detailing a complexity he has, how, how it's affecting his marriage, and all that kind of stuff. And I've got I'm getting to speak into him now. Right. How many other people are going to be able to do that with him? I don't know if he's going to share that with his men's group. I don't even know if he's in a men's group. I, I, I don't know that. But I get to uh, a, an avenue into his life that other folks wouldn't have, and I wouldn't want to give that up. And I, want, I wouldn't want to stop helping him. Yeah. One of the things I know about you too at, at Crossroads is that your focus with regard to generosity and stewardship is comprehensive. It's not just yeah, we pay attention to the people that write big checks, but rather, no, we're we're building a model to try to help everybody kind of take their next step in this journey of of growing in generosity and stewardship. And I think, Brian, that might be part of what was behind this partnership that you've entered into with Good Sense to create this new curriculum called Freed Up. We're gonna put, by the way, we're gonna put in the in the chat box uh, a link to a webinar that if you're interested, if your church is interested after you hear what Brian is describing here about what Freed Up is all about, if you'd like to get more information about how you might wanna use this new, and I think outstanding new resource kind of in your church, you can click that link and participate in that webinar. But Brian, talk about that. What was it? What's what's going on there with Freed Up? What are you guys hoping to accomplish with this new resource that you're offering to churches? Well, we've been, our financial, uh, how would I say it? Our financial development model and our spiritual development model, one and the same, basically works like this right now. Every three years, we take people through Robert Morris's Blessed Life series. If you haven't heard that, you haven't seen it, and you're a pastor, just take it and do it. And you say, <laughs> oh, no, that's not us. That's what I thought, too, and God dealt with me in humility. I went, I literally preached his outline. I couldn't preach all of his stories because he's he, he's a guy who has the literal gift of generosity. But I preached literally his outline and they were mind numbing to people, just rocked to our church. It was, I mean, and I thought, oh, something from, you know, Baptisty land in Texas is not gonna play to a bunch of seekers up and so it did. It was, it's, so we're gonna do that every three years. And then on the other, three years. So year and a half, you're going to get a shot of the blessed life, which is about tithing and first fruits and all that. And then a year and a half, you're going to get basic financial principles. That's going to be our regular rhythm as it goes on. And so we wanted, we're looking for a financial curriculum to take people through. And we've, we've used all of them. And we were in with one organization saying, uh, I say use all of them in various seminars we've had or small group studies. And so we were interacting with one of them saying, maybe we make this the whole thing. We take the, the whole church through this. We buy all the curriculum we do. And as we just, the more we dug into it and thought about it. And I know the folks who are great folks, great, done a lot of, got a lot of good work. Just, just felt like, um, I don't know if this is really us culturally. It really cracks the financial egg really well, but it doesn't crack the heart very well. It doesn't crack the spiritual formation egg very well. And really the first and one of the earliest was Willow Creek way, 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 way back decades and decades ago, Good Sense Ministry. Dick Towner started that and um, what churches use all the time. It just got old and fuddy-duddy. Actually, they spun that off in a separate 501c3 and it was doing some good stuff. But really just great, great sound financial principles. But what I loved about it was it starts with the heart. It starts with spiritual formation. It's a it's a Bible program that helps you understand money, not a money program that gives you a couple Bible verses. Right on. Um, and we just liked it. But and then those folks came to us. the The new five hundred one c three said our stuff is really old and outdated. Would you up, be up for partnering with us? And I took a look at their their five financial principles. And honestly, I started um, getting emotional looking at them. They were actually freeing. Like incredibly freeing. Like one thing a wise steward is, is he's a cautious debtor. Cautious debtor. Not your evil if you have a mortgage. Not your goal is to get out of debt. That's your primary financial goal. No, if you're, all of your stuff is God's stuff, you're a steward, is, you're very cautious with that. There was other ones like that. And I was just, wow, this is amazing. So what they did is they said, we'd like to take our program. And you have a digital infrastructure. You've got apps and all that stuff. Could we partner to where 
What you bring to the table is your digital infrastructure. What we bring to the, the table is the content, and we just do this thing together. At least I think the agreement is for, I don't know, three years or something like that. And so we said, yeah, we'll try that. So that's that's what's going on. So the, the content's called Freed Up, right? And it's it's kind of the, it's it's a tremendously solid kind of overview of this is what the Bible says right. about how a Christian should steward God's resources. And I right. think what you guys have done is you've added, as you've said, you've, you've kind of brought it into the 21st century, but it still has all of that kind of classic Coke, really great content that Dick Towner initially created all those years ago. And so now, so now you're and, offering it. And, and actually, Chris, there's actually another aspect to it that I'm really, really excited about. We, we really fall short when we talk stewardship, money and churches, because it's hard to talk to everyone. Everyone's in a different place. And most financial stuff, they just go down the pike of let's attack people's consumer debt. Let's attack that. Let's attack. But most people aren't there. So this curriculum has three different lanes that you self-select into these lanes. Here's the lanes. Lane one is, I, I always have too much month at the end of my money. I can't make the ends meet. Lane two is, okay, I'm doing okay month to month, but I'm just not getting ahead. And number three, number three is, I'm doing really, really well financially, but I don't feel it. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not feeling free. Freedom is the common through line between all three of those things need to be freed up. And even people have a lot of money, sometimes have old tapes, they're not biblically rooted, and they're, they're bound up. And so that's what the program is called freed up. Not just freed up from debt, not freed up from not enough money. No, just freed up every way, spiritually, financially. You know what I love about that too is, and again, there's so there you were you were right to suggest that there's some other really really great content out there, but a couple of the resources that are out there right now, in order for a person to sign up, it's almost like they have to admit, I'm a loser financially, and I've driven my family's finances into the ditch. Right now, I got to go to this class for financial dummies, right. and I and that that. There's just a whole segment of people in our churches that will never sign up for a class like that, even though they really need some of that content. And it just feels like what you guys have put together with Freed Up is a little bit more of an open door. Hey, we all need to get free. Figure out how you can kind of take your next step. Exactly. We all need to get free, but the, but the path to freedom looks, for, looks different to all of us. So in the app, when people sign up, you get a workbook as well, but you also get obviously the app and in the app, there's all customizable things in there in that app for you with the lane that you're in because someone who has too much money at the end of their money doesn't need to be hearing about estate planning and being challenged to maybe be, to give beyond the 10%. That's just utterly, utterly not relevant. And somebody who's tithing and has a regular savings plan doesn't need to be hearing about the evils of credit cards. That's not relevant. In fact, they use credit cards very, very well. And God is very happy with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. Nice. So, so Brian, in, in, in these areas of generosity and stewardship, um, what advice would you give the church planner? Guy who's, he's, he's, he's planning the church. He's, you know, he's starting from scratch. He's, he's got a lot on his plate, but what advice would you t- tell him to, in terms of, when I was a church planter back in 1995, oh my goodness, we're having our 25th anniversary celebration next week. Um, I learned very, very clearly from all the church planters I talk with, you have to set the culture early on in everything, everything. That means early on, you've got to talk about giving. You have to set a culture of generosity. It wasn't the terms that we used back then, but that's what they were saying, um, which is hard as a church planner because you don't want to talk about tithing inside the first six months or let alone inside the first year. But you have to talk about things that you want in your culture long term. Think about the long term benefit, not the short term pain of it. That's really good. That's cool. really good. Yeah. So listen, I think we're, we're getting ready to land the plane here. Let me make a couple of other uh, comments just quickly. Again, if you'd like, if it would be helpful to you and your church to get sort of an overview of just some good, solid 
content on how you can create a culture of generosity and stewardship and giving in your church, how you can elevate those things. Um, Greg and I and the Elevate team have put together this ebook. We'd love for you to use it. Again, I think that link is there in the chat box and you can go ahead and download that. We'd be happy to give that to you. Then I do want to remind everybody, if you think that maybe exploring whether or not this freed up curriculum would be something that you want to use or, or at least look at using in your church, there's a link there in the chat box. You can get some information about that as well. And uh, um, Good Sense and the Crossroads team are hosting a webinar where they're going to be giving a little bit more information about how all of that works. And, and uh, you can participate in that by clicking that link and getting involved in that as well. Uh, Brian, before we la wrap up, any any last thoughts? Any Are you sitting on attack? Anything you wish you had said that you hadn't said yet or just anything that you would add before we wrap up? No, I think that we, we have to recognize as pastors, we're in everything for the long haul. It's about leading sheep someplace. And as a, as a shepherd, you can't take people where you haven't already been. Yeah. You can't take people to grass when you haven't checked that grass out first. And I just encourage everybody to, it sounds, sounds trite, sounds overused, it is, but this really is a journey. Don't try to fix everything in your church or with your generosity culture from day one. Just, just say, what's the next step I need to do to honor Christ and help my people? What's the next thing? Don't get overwhelmed with it. Just, what's the next thing? Maybe it's the conversation with the board about, who knows what somebody is giving. Maybe it's looking into putting freed up. Maybe it's telling your given a personal giving story. Maybe it's you becoming more of a giver than you are. Just be on that place with Christ because everything flows out of where you are with Jesus. Yeah, right on to that. That's really, really Love good. It. And if we can help uh, at Elevate Group, if we can help, you can. we got some resources that you can download from our, our, our website. It's elevategroup.us. There's a blog there with some helpful things some tools, if we can get on the phone and help you. Um, we're, just, we're just trying to help churches elevate generosity and stewardship so that we can do some good in the world and we'd be happy to help you. And Brian, I just know about you, one of the things I love about you and the Crossroads team is that you guys have just had, you have a history of just giving away what it is that you learn. What you guys know, you share freely, freely with other churches. And I feel like this this podcast interview is just another good example of that. So thanks for taking the time to hang out with us and, and just talk about this stuff. It's been really great to talk with you. Chris, I'm honored to be invited to be here. And just about everything I talked about here, I learned from somebody else, much of them from you. So it's, a, it's an honor to pass it on as I've gotten passed on to. Right on. That's good. Greg, any last thoughts, bro? No, thanks so much, Brian. Yeah. It's been great. So, such good stuff. Thank you. All right, everybody. Well, listen, uh, we'll be back again in two weeks with another uh, podcast interview in this whole series of Elevating Generosity and Stewardship. Thanks for joining us, everybody.